All right, guys, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9. We're going to look at the last few verses. We're going to finish up chapter 9 today. And this story that the writer is sharing to us, it actually continues on into chapter 10. But the main part of it now, before Jesus' discussion concerning it, is in chapter 10. We'll start looking at that next week. But the main part of it is here. And so let me kind of remind you what we're doing as we're going through John and where we're at in chapter 9 and why it's relevant to you and I today. So our whole purpose in going through the Gospel of John is to get to know Jesus. I'll be honest with you. We really need to get to know Jesus, get to know who he is, how he acts, what he does, what he says, how he reacts to people. Why? Because I'll be honest with you, most of us, we, we, we believe in Jesus, we've made a sense, we've been saved, but then we just go on with our normal lives and try to live good Christian lives, but we don't really know how Jesus is or know how he reacts to us or how he acts or what he says. And so that's why we're going through this gospel is to get to know him. But as we get to know him, it kind of reveals where we're at Reveals those who love him, the stuff we struggle with, but it also reveals those who reject him. That's what's going on in this section of the gospel in chapters 7 through 12. And so when we got to chapter 9, remember we're talking about a man who was born blind. The disciples, because of their thinking, we enter into the same type of thinking or thinking that all suffering is a direct result of sin. So here's a guy who's born blind. The question is, who sinned? Was it his parents? Or did he do something in the womb? Really? That's what they were thinking. That's the kind of mental gymnastics that happens when you're trying to live in a box and so forth. And here's what we see happen. Jesus heals the man, but when he heals the man, he's breaking the rules. He's not breaking God's word. He's breaking the rules of the elders. What is that? Don't heal on the Sabbath. Don't knead clay or make a mud pie on the Sabbath. Jesus did both purposely. Why? To bring healing to this guy. So here's a guy, let's remember, remind ourselves, here's a guy who has not been able to see anything from birth. So we can assume that maybe he's in his 20s or in his 30s, maybe in his 40s, maybe older, how many decades is that, depending on how old he is, that he's not seen anything? Jesus comes along, talks to him. He didn't even ask the guy if he wanted to be healed. Isn't that interesting? We read the thing. Jesus doesn't even ask him if he wants to be healed. He just what? Spreads the mud pie on his eyes, tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and the guy does that, and he what? Sees. Wow, isn't that exciting? Not to everybody. They take him to the Pharisees at the synagogue and they investigate him. Tell us how this happened. I've told you. Tell us again. How many times have I got to tell you? Are you wanting to be a follower? And then he's like, and he makes a powerful theological point. From the beginning of time, nobody ever has been able to make anyone see. He's got to be from God. And you know what I did? I, I shared that with you last week. I went and looked in the Old Testament for anywhere of a healing of a blind person in the Old Testament 
There is none. But one prophecy from the book of Isaiah concerning the Messiah that when he comes, he will what? Heal the blind. But the people in the box, they couldn't see that because they'd already made up their mind. And guess what they do to this guy? Think about this guy. Think about, he's, he wakes up in the morning, somebody places him where he's normally placed so he can beg. Jesus comes along, heals him. He's then interrogated. And guess what? Because they didn't like the outcome of it, they throw him out of the synagogue. Literally and figuratively, he's cast out, ostracized, no longer a part of the community of God. What a day. What a day to start, right? So that brings us to Jesus. And this is the amazing thing about Jesus. Is that he looks for the rejected. What we're going to read in these verses are so amazing that reflects the heart of Christ. And as we look at how he responds to this guy, he's the same way with us. So let's get, get a little bit of perspective what's going on here. So let's talk about the rejected for a moment. Here's what's happening here. Spiritual arrogance manifests itself in the rejection of those deemed lesser. These Pharisees thought they were it. In fact, they made that claim. Remember last week they said, you're going to teach us? You're going to teach us? You're, you're a sinner. You were born in sin. They rejected him. They threw him out because they were arrogant. And we've seen that. We've seen that even in churches. Haven't you seen that through life in churches where the, quote, spiritually mature or what we thought were spiritually mature rejected the lesser? And it was only not spiritual maturity. It was spiritual arrogance. And they were cast out of the community of God, which is the second point I want you to see. That rejection results in isolation from the community of faith. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm old enough now to remember, you know, things, times have changed. The way churches are done has changed. But I can remember even in the mid-80s when I came to Christ going to church and I went to a little bitty independent Baptist church in West Columbia, South Carolina. There, there were people who came to church and they all came to church. They all came to church to worship God and to be a part of the church family and to live in fellowship with one another and fellowship with the Lord. But I noticed even at that young age, okay, and some of you would remember these from those days back then. Thankfully, we are not like that right now. There was one group of people that would come to church and they were second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Do you understand what I mean by that? They, they loved the Lord. The pastor wanted them to come, fill a pew so he can say how many were in church. Please put something in the offering. But you can't do anything else in the church because you were divorced. Now, do you remember those days? 
And so there they were. They, they felt like second-class citizens in church. Accepted but rejected. Is it possible to be both? Yeah, in church it is. We accept you on this level, but we reject you on that level. And, every, and, and the, the terrible thing about divorces is, is that every story is different. Every story is different. But yet in those days, in our spiritual arrogance, we just slapped everybody with the same ruler and judged them. That's arrogance. And then they just felt isolated. So it's possible to come to a church. I'm serious. It's possible to come to a church and feel rejected because of something that maybe was in your control or something that was not in your control. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now here's the problem. Because church acts that way, we think God acts that way. Because church looks at you that way, or we think church looks at you that way, we think God looks at us that way. But I'm going to show you today from these few verses something powerful. And it's Jesus. So I want you to notice with me in verse 35. I mean, I'll be honest with you. We could read this and kind of blow by through it and not even catch it. But man, just right off the beginning in verse 35, look at what the writer John is telling us about Jesus. It says this. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him. All right, let's read that again. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Some translations, it's actually the Son of Man, the Messiah. Okay. And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said, to him, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sins remain. So here's what I'm going to do, folks. We're going to divide this into three sections, okay? And we're going to get a picture of Jesus today that I hope will free us when you understand Jesus and you understand how he is towards those who are arrogant, 
hopefully it'll free us. What are we going to do? First thing we're going to do is look at verse 35. We're going to see the initiative of Jesus. I mean, again, we could read this and just blow right through it. Oh, yeah, Jesus went and looked for him. No, no, think about what he's saying. When he heard that he had been cast out, when he heard that he had been rejected, and then it says, and found him. That implies something. What does it imply? Well, Jesus responded to the rejection and actively sought him out. Jesus just doesn't hear the news. Oh, you know that guy you healed today? I can see one of the disciples. Hey, 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 boss. Scuttlebutt is the guy you healed today got kicked out of the synagogue. He's been rejected by the community. Oh, what does it say? He found him. That means Jesus then what? Sought him out. Jesus actively looked for him. Let that sink in. Why? Why do I need to let that sink in, George? Well, think about it for a moment. When's the last time you did something wrong? Some of us don't have to think very long, do we? If you are pondering, oh, I've not made a mistake this year, uh, you got a problem, okay? But I think we all know we do wrong. Now, here's what happens. When we do wrong... We somehow enter into this mindset that God doesn't want to have anything to do with us. It's a lie. It's a lie. Because he actively seeks us out. He actively seeks us out. You know, we've been doing that study. We've been doing that study, uh, Gentle and Lowly, and one of the chapters made a powerful point. I never really thought about it. Paul makes reference in Corinthians that we are, the church is the body of Christ, and we are its members individually. So each one of us is a part of the body of Christ. So that when you and I sin or suffer, that part of the body of Christ is sick. And so he's, basically the illustration is, okay, so for instance, you know what, I, I hate gardening, okay? So, I, you know, I, I very rarely help Lori, okay? Uh, but then I'll do, and, and sometimes she'll have me cut down stuff, or, or I remember one time there was a, some kind of briar thing growing in the garden, and I had to get it out of there. And, and you know what about briars? Even if you have gloves, it, what, you'll get a thorn in your hand, okay, or a splinter or something, and... And, and so, I mean, it's painful. It hurts. So, so what do you do? You just kind of walk around with a splinter in your hand? You don't do anything about it? No, you, you will take that splinter out. You'll, or if you're brave, you'll have your wife dig it out who doesn't feel that what's going on in your body at that point, right? Is that not what we do? We, 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 grab, we t try to bring healing to our body. The point of the author was the same thing. We are Christ's body. When we suffer, he wants to heal his body. He's actively wanting to heal his body. He seeks us out. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to hear he's seeking you out. Here's the second thing I want you to see. He probes the man's faith. Verse 35, he says... 
Do you believe in the Son of God or some translations the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Messiah? He comes to us in our rejection. He seeks us out. And the question is, do you believe in me? Do you trust in me? That is a powerful question for you and I. Why? Think about it for a moment. We come to him by faith. We trust in him for our faith because we know we can't do anything for salvation. Jesus, I'm here. I want to follow you. And then, of course, we mess up because what? We're human, right? And the Bible assumes you're going to sin. First John, my little children, I run into you that you sin not. But if you sin, you have an advocate. Jesus Christ. So there we are in, in, in our rejection. We live in this rejection. Oh God, you've changed your view towards me. And he comes along, he seeks us out, and he probes us. And the question is, do you believe me? What kind of question is that? Well, do you believe me? Do you believe that I saved you? That it had nothing to do with you? It had to do with what I did on the cross. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Messiah? That's a question we got to answer when you think about the rejection that we're wallowing in, and we wallow in it, don't we? Do you believe me? Do you believe that I forgive? Do you believe that I cleanse? Do you believe I restore? Do you believe, like Joel says, Lord, give me back the years the locusts have eaten? Do you believe that he can restore the mess-ups in your lives? Do you believe? Wow, that's Jesus. And you know what? Here's the amazing thing about it is he's doing that with all of us. Because we all mean something to him. So I want you to notice now the response of faith. Here's how the guy responds. This is what's amazing to me. Look with me now at verse 36. Here's what the guy says. He, he hasn't clued in yet. He, the guy hasn't clued in yet. Yeah, he can see. But he hasn't clued in. So here, here's what he says. Verse 36. He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? He knows it's Jesus who healed him. He knows that this is somebody special from God. He called him a prophet earlier and got rebuked for it. And here's the guy. He's, Jesus is actively seeking him out. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Messiah? Who is he, Lord, that I may believe? Here, here's the point I want you to see, is that while there is ignorance, there's a desire to know the Messiah. Even though he doesn't understand, he's what? He wants to know. Even though it's not complete in his mind who Jesus is, he wants to keep knowing. Can I ask you something? Have you, given up, have you given up trying to know Jesus? Or do you think like these other guys, you've arrived? You know it all. That's a dangerous place to be. And you're going to see why here soon. But are you active, even in your rejection, are you still wanting to know who he is? You want to know this one who is, well, what do we see here? Look with me at verse 37 and 38. Here's what Jesus says. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking 
with you. And then he said, Lord, I believed. And he worshiped him. Now here's the response of faith. When Jesus reveals himself, faith responds in belief and worship. It responds. So let me ask you a question. How real is God to you? What do you mean how real is God to me? How real is he? So that when you are like, God, I, I'm in the midst of this, I need your help, and he helps you, do you just kind of like, oh, wow, that's great, go on with life? Or do you pause for a moment and say, wow, Lord, you heard me. You heard me. I love you, Lord. You know, I've, I, can, I can think of some, some moments here over the last few years where, you know, I, we were, we were, I was, there was some sort of situation that we were facing, and I was like, man, what are we going to do about this situation? How are we going to handle this situation? Oh, and, and I wasn't even praying. You know, you know what praying is? Like, okay, God, I'm bringing you this issue. I, wasn't, I was just thinking. Sometimes we, do you, you know what I'm saying? We, we wrestle with stuff in our mind. So I'm wrestling with stuff in my mind, thinking we've got to find a solution to this problem because it is not good and I don't have any other options and I don't want to blow up. Next day, come into my office. Somebody calls me and says, hey, you know that problem you had? It's gone. How'd that happen? Well, he tells me all the information there. Wow. Now, I'm keeping it vague because you don't need to know the specifics of it. And it wasn't involving me. It was just something that was a problem. But here's my response. Hung up the phone. And here's what I said. God... You took care of that. And I wasn't even praying. You just heard my thoughts. You knew this was bothering me and bothering our church. And you took care of this issue. And we've not had an issue there since. And I worshipped him. Because he's the God who even looks at our thoughts. Because sometimes we're afraid to tell him our thoughts, aren't we? But he already knows what we have need of. Isn't that what he said in Matthew? Even before we pray. That's the response of faith. That's the response of faith. That's what we see here. But here's, here's what I want you to see. The passage ends up with Jesus making a statement. You would assume Jesus would be like, yeah, wonderful. I, you, you're all right. No, he brings a pronouncement, and it's a pronouncement of judgment. I want you to notice what he says here. Look with me in verse 39 to 41, and this is where we're going to be. And hopefully this will challenge you and I. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see 
may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said, Are we blind also? Uh, the text doesn't bring it out. Let me explain to you what is brought out in the original languages. Are you saying we're blind? That's their attitude. They're not genuinely asking if they're blind. They're saying with offense, you're saying we're blind? Then notice what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see. Therefore, your sin remains. So Jesus is going to wrap it all up here. And this is where it's going to be powerful for you and I. What do you mean? Here it is. First thing I want you to see is this. Jesus said for this judgment, he's not talking about judgment in the terms of the final judgment. He's talking about separating. He wants to separate people. So he's going to separate them into two groups. Now here's the first group. Jesus brings spiritual sight to those who, it should be, who are the searching ignorant. Ignorant. Sorry, I must have been in between my tea and my Diet Coke and not thinking properly when I wrote that. Jesus brings spiritual sight to those who are the searching ignorant. Not the arrogant. The ignorant. The people who want to know but don't know. The people who are blind but want to see. Jesus wants to bring sight to them. You know what, folks? He's done that for us, right? You didn't, before you got saved, you weren't walking around thinking he was the son of God. You weren't walking around believing that he was, that he had died for you. But somehow, at some moment, when Jesus reached down and touched your life, it all came together because he gave you sight to see it. So he's there, seeking you out, accepting you, helping you to see. But here's the second group. It's the group that says, what, you think we're blind? That's a pretty arrogant statement, isn't it? You think we're blind? Ever said that in a conversation somebody's trying to explain? What, you don't think I know? That's arrogance. And look at what it says here. I, I want you to see, here's my point. Jesus blinds the proud who think they know everything spiritually. These guys thought they knew everything, but Jesus says, guess what? I'm making you blind to the truth. You think you know? You don't know. And you're still in your sins. Wow. That's judgment, isn't it? Because what is he seeking? He is seeking those who are what? Seeking him. The rejected. So let me go back to my illustration for a moment. Remember I told you about the way we, churches once treated people? Some churches still do that. Here's what I found. The second-class citizens, they still love Jesus. They still wanted to see Jesus in their lives. That's why they came. That's why they wanted to be a part. That, it, it, do you understand what I'm saying? They wanted to know him. And the blessing of a passage like this is he wants to know them. 
And let's just be honest, okay? We made those people second-class citizens because of this sin. Who said that was the sin? Why wasn't it your sin? Fill in the blank. Because aren't all sins the same in God's eyes? Do you understand what I'm saying? And he reaches out in love towards all of us. So, okay, George, what do we do with it? How do we wrap this up? Where do we bring this to? All right. Remember, this is about Jesus and about you. This is about meeting Jesus and understanding you. And I guess if we're going to look at it from that standpoint, you need to understand the reality. The reality is he loves you. And nothing's going to change that, including you. Did you hear me? Nothing's going to change his love for you, including you. And yes, you are going to sin. Yes, you are going to do wrong. But the question is, what's your attitude about it? What is it that is true about you? Are you spiritually proud? That's a dangerous place to be. Or are you humble? Because you understand who you really are. But you even more understand who he is and how much he seeks you out. That's really the point, isn't it? It's the Savior loves you. Period. That's where we need to rest, right? Let's pray.